It is five o'clock in Salford. How are you doing? Are you well today? It's Thursday. It's the 28th of October, 2021. It's me, Richie Allen, live from BBG Towers with another edition of your Richie Allen radio show. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, the deluge of rain we were promised in Salford hasn't yet arrived. It did in Cumbria, though, further northwest. It's been dreadful rain, 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 and flooding. It must be climate change. Either that or the baby Jesus is enraged by something and has, well, sent pestilence and flooding and famine to us to punish us for our errant ways. I don't know which it is. It might be neither. It might just be the weather. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Earlier today, I interviewed a lovely lady from Queensland, Australia. Her name is Jana. She is a 16-year experienced registered nurse. She reached out to the programme to tell me that she wasn't working as a nurse any longer because of the vaccine mandate in her state. She spoke eloquently to me. It's dark. You've got to hear it. I'll be playing it soon. Uh, I was joined by Jana, a nurse. This is one you don't want to miss. We'll play that back shortly on Thursday's Richie Allen radio show. Yeah, just bought a bit of time there to have a drop of ishka. That would be the Irish word for water. Agua, ishka, that's the one. Yeah, we've not had the deluge, thankfully. And you know, I went out much earlier than I usually do. And I go out really early because I thought I'll be chucked on. It'll be, I'll be rinsed. I will be rinsed. But no, it hasn't arrived as of yet. It's very blustery around these parts. Oh, let me share this with you, me old Sagosha. <laughs> Let me share this with you now. Isn't it funny? I've bragged to you about not having received a message on my phone from the National Health Service regarding the jabs. I said, sure, they don't have me number. I got some letters months ago, but nothing since. Well, well, I had a text message this morning at 0800. So did Caroline El Frogo Tremendo. At 0800. My pal Terence, the radiator salesman and all-round impresario, my pal Tez, says to me, I've had the exact same message. Listen to this. It said, get your vaccination today, and today is in block capital letters, 9.30 to 4.30, Buell Hill Park, where I walks me doggy. Doesn't say that in the message. It just says, Buell Hill Park. And then it gives the postcode to the park. You can have your first or your second Pfizer doses if you're over 16. We'll leave eight weeks between the doses. 16 and 17-year-olds, just turn up. Just turn up, it says, with an exclamation mark. I've had a text. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a no-reply service, so when I texted you F and, and all the bleepy words you can imagine, it wouldn't send... So there you are. Anyway, later this afternoon, 
the aforementioned El Frogo Tremendito. Well, she went across to the park with the dog and sent me back a photograph of the hastily put together Jabatoir. There's a Jabatoir. Oh, God, they're getting desperate, aren't they? They're getting desperate, indeedy, 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 indeedy. Okay, let's talk about one or two things. Oh, before we do, do you want to hear this for a giggle? Go on then. Jack Black must be struggling for a, for a job. He's a successful actor, is Jack Black. I suppose you might think School of Rock. I never saw School of Rock. You might think the remake of King Kong with, 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 the, with the lovely Australian blonde woman whose name I can't remember. Naomi. I'm going to become very old on this radio programme. Have you ever had a granddad or an uncle who just trails off and starts talking nonsense? That's going to be me now. Naomi Watts is her name. Well, Jack Black has decided, yes, he told his agent, yes, I will play Frankie the Dino for a new climate change campaign. What they've done is they've used CGI inside the United Nations building to make it look like a dinosaur is warning humanity not to become extinct. Why? Well, because the dinosaurs became extinct when a meteor hit the Gulf of Mexico, allegedly. What that has to do with climate change is anybody's guess. Hang on now, hang on, till I play you the clip. I'm playing it from the BBC News Twitter. Dino tells the United Nations, don't choose extinction. The velociraptor, the dinosaur is a velociraptor is played by none other than, as I said, Jack Black. Have a listen to this. There's the dinosaur coming in now. <coughs> Fixing the mic. Go on. Listen up, people. I know a thing or two about extinction. And let me tell you, and you'd kind of think this would be obvious, going extinct is a bad thing. Now. And driving yourselves extinct? In 70 million years, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yeah. At least we had an asteroid. He's rampaging around the United Nations now, scaring the bejesus out of the delegates. Dino. Go on. What's your excuse? You're headed for a climate disaster. And yet every year, governments spend hundreds of billions of public funds on fossil fuel subsidies. So here's my wild idea. Don't choose extinction. Save your species before it's too late. Yeah. It's time for you humans to stop making excuses and start making changes. Well, Dino couldn't be any clearer there. It's time to stop making excuses and to save our species. That's how bad it's getting now. Shot inside the United Nations with a bit of green screening and all of that. It's seven minutes past the hour. Well, we'll come back to that in a minute, that climate change garbage, because it's everywhere. You, you probably are unsurprised by that, as we, are, as we are only days away from Halloween, which also sees the beginning of the COP26 climate change thingamajig in Glasgow. Now, the Institute for Fiscal Studies said today that millions of people will be worse off in 2022 because of spiralling costs and tax rises. Yes. Inflation and higher taxes on incomes would negate any small wage increases for middle earners. They use terms like real 
pain for low-income households, did the IFS. The cost of living will increase faster than benefit payments. Uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, has acknowledged that families are under strain. He made this uh, statement yesterday when delivering his budget. The Institute for Fiscal Studies Director, Paul Johnson, said millions will be worse off in the short term. Millions in the short term. The Office for Budget Responsibility has warned as well today the cost of living could rise at its fastest rate for 30 years. Its latest forecast predicts that inflation, which measures the change in the cost of living over time, will jump from 3.1% to an average of 4% next year, which will be catastrophic for many, of course. Don't need to tell you that. Some, some economists are warning that a correction in the market or an economic crash might be coming. We've been discussing that for many moons on this radio programme. It might well be coming. So, surprise, surprise, you know, not a Laura laughs, really, for people in the next couple of years and beyond. Cost of living spiralling, wages stagnating for years, not rising with inflation for years, taxes rising, council tax, VAT, income tax. It's a perfect storm. So the government has borrowed 2.3 trillion pounds to deal with the COVID scam demic. Now the Chancellor has said, well, we can handle that for the moment because interest rates are not rising, but they will rise, of course. That, of course, will be meddled with of course, and then it will be austerity on steroids now. This is not misery hour. I'm not trying to make your frown, so turn that frown upside down. I'm just telling you what I think. Remember Greece? Think Greece times 100. Remember Greece? It's often said to me, Richie, you do yourself a disservice when you talk about predictions and not getting them right. Well, I've not had a great track record, but when Alexis Tsipras and Yanis Varoufakis took the reins in Greece some years ago, I said I believed that they would rape the Greek people. And a lot of left-wing listeners to the Richie Allen Show back then accused me of being a shill and a bullshitter. Now, a bullshitter, we're all bullshitters from time to time, but certainly no shill. I said that Tsipras and Varoufakis would sell out the Greek people. This guy appeared that he was standing up to Brussels, didn't he? Do you remember that? Standing up to them and uh, was threatening to take Greece out of the European Union, threatening to default and to reinstate the drachma. I said it was all lies. He would sell out his people. He told the Greeks to reject bailout terms on offer from Brussels. Do you remember? He said, I call on you to say a big no to ultimatum. Say no to blackmail. Turn your back on those who would terrorise you, said Tsipras. And the Greeks listened to him and they voted no. We don't accept the bailout terms from the European Union. A week later, the treacherous Tsipras went and signed the deal. And that brings privatisation. Public sector pay went down. Early retirement phased out. The Greeks are still broken. Now, if you take the European Union out of that and leave everything else in, that's what's coming for us. That's what's coming down the line. Bail-ins. Defaults. The government saying we can't borrow anymore. We're screwed. We're going to have to take it out of you. Austerity times a thousand and bail-ins. And I say bail-ins because I really want you to be aware of that. If you have a deposit account, you've got a few bob in it, or a savings account, you've got a few bob in it. Just think about it. 
you know, watch it very carefully. Don't go doing anything rash. Take other advice. Don't listen to me. You, I can't claim to be a financial expert, even though in my commercial days, I was the guy chosen to try and unravel financial news and its intricacies and its language. I was the guy who did that because I could understand it. Anyway, it's 12 minutes past five. COP26 then rolling coverage, non-stop coverage in UK media today. It's in Glasgow beginning on Sunday. John Kerry is in the UK for it. He's a former US Secretary of State and a one-time US presidential candidate. He stood for the Democrats against George W. Bush. He was at the London School of Economics today. Surprise, surprise! Of course, with its Rockefeller connections. He told students there, did Kerry, that there should be no more debates on the causes of climate change. That's what John Kerry said, and here he is. Let's be clear. Uh, The time for debating the causes of climate change is long over. And the time for action is also long overdue. And needless to say, the stakes could not be higher. Nick Stern knows this as well as anybody in the world. He literally wrote the book on the real costs of climate change. And as he summed up this week in an op-ed, Uh, on this challenge, uh, he said economists have grossly undervalued the lives of young people, your lives, your livelihoods, your ability to count on the barest of bare minimums and the right to live on a habitable planet. Live on a habitable planet. It's all about you, the youngsters, the barest of minimums. Ironically, people will be asked to live at subsistence level. Well, they won't be asked. They'll be told you must live at subsistence level in order to save the planet. We'll hear a bit of that in a moment. Now, I wrote about this on the website today just to put a couple of figures on there. These are figures that are well known. We've talked about them on the radio show many times when various scientists who do not agree with this climate change theory have been on. We talked about the makeup of the Earth's atmosphere, which is 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 0.93% of it is argon, and then CO2 makes up 0.04% of the atmosphere. The the, the rest of it is made up of neon, helium, methane, krypton, krypton is real, (laughs) hydrogen, and water vapour. So the question is, of course, where does the 0.04% of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, where does it come from? The great, great majority of it is natural volcanic activity, decomposition of plants and animals, the oceans, animals, living, breathing, animals. A tiny fraction of it is actually created by human beings, something that is swerved by the media. Our CO2 production has no impact on temperature whatsoever. This is a fact. It's not cherry-picking data. It's an absolute fact. But um, I have a feeling that after this coming COP26 conference, I have a feeling that things are going to move pretty quickly in terms of them deciding what you can and can't do and what you should and shouldn't eat and where you should and shouldn't go and how you should get there. That's going to be a big thing, I think, really soon, maybe sooner than we imagine. By the way, historically, there have been times, there has been times, we we have had periods in our history predating our 
time on the planet when CO2 the CO2 levels in the atmosphere were greater, much greater than now. This again is something that the climate crisis models will not touch and of course they won't touch the impact the sun has on climate and on the weather. But anyway, they were out in force today. Who are they? Well, they are the people who want to tell us, you and me, that we need to make significant changes in our personal lives in the next 10 years. Not in 100 or 200 or 300 years. We've got to make these changes now and sooner rather than later. Let's start with the government's chief scientific advisor, Patrick Valance. This is the asshole who played a massive part in lockdown and also pushing the dodgy COVID jabs. Today, Valance is masquerading as a climate crisis expert. Now, he firstly talks about technology and how that can help us. Then he talks about what we can do ourselves. Here's Valance. Absolutely make sure that the technologies we have today and the natural solutions we have today are implemented as fast as possible. That is critical. And there's a way to do that. And there's a lot of R&D needed for that. Second is that we need to invest in the technologies for the future that will then continue that and make certain parts of that easier. And we need also to accept that there's got to be some change in society in terms of the way we consume and the way we contribute to emissions. And those things together Changes in society around the way we consume and how we contribute to emissions. I think are really, really important. And if, you, if those are done and there are clear plans, 1.5 is achievable, but it's not achievable without significant action and steep reduction in emissions over the period of 2030. And then there are the little things that we can all do that may seem tiny individually, but you aggregate them across millions and it makes a difference. So, you know, I can tell you what I do. I cycle to work. I have reduced my meat consumption. I don't fly as much as I used to. Doesn't mean I've stopped meat consumption. Doesn't mean I'm never going to fly again. I am going to, but I'm going to reduce those things. And I think those aggregate actions across millions make a difference as well. But on their own, of course, they're not sufficient. We need to get the technologies in place and we need to invest in the technologies of the future. We don't because there's no such thing as a climate crisis. It's one of the greatest hoaxes ever perpetrated on humanity. It's a massive lie. He's a monster. He's a dangerous criminal, Patrick Valance. You know, he really is. This is a criminal at large. He knows he's lying. Valance knows none of this is true. He knows that I'm convinced of it. He might argue that, no, no, I really do believe that there's a climate crisis, but I suspect he knows there isn't. He knows the same statistics I've just given you. The atmosphere is made up of 0.04% carbon. Of that 0.04%, our contribution to that is almost non-existent. It, it doesn't matter, effectively. We don't matter. The sun controls temperature on planet Earth, largely. It's the sun, believe it or not. And um, we're coming out of the last ice age, still emerging from it. These things take millennia and millennia and millennia Factored by three, four, five. That's what happens. All of it is a lie. It's a massive lie. As the research director of climate outreach, a woman called Amira Sawas, was on Sky News. Again, we need to change. We need to change the way we live. And I think the important thing to say is that systemic government action and individual action are two sides of the same coin. So what we need is 
is ambitious and systemic policies from government that help people know what steps they need to take. So in the research that we do, we've learned that only about 10% of people in the UK really know what they should be doing, and only 13% really know what government policies should be. So what the government needs to do is facilitate people to take those changes. Now, as I mentioned before, about 63% of the changes we need to make require some form of individual action. And the UN uh, sort of emissions gap report that was released at the end of last year told us that about two-thirds of emissions globally come from households as well. So the steps that we take in a, at the household level is also part of systemic change. Systemic change. We need to take steps at household level. Systemic change in what we do. You know, think, think a smart household. Think smart devices, smart fridges, smart everything, smart meters to reduce your heat, your, 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 your consumption of gas, natural gas or electricity, you know, to keep you within your allocation of carbon. That's how it'll be, you know. This month you are allocated a certain amount of carbon output and once you reach the threshold, well, they'll be able to remotely reduce. This is not a joke, I'm not making this up they'll be able to remotely reduce your ability, impact, I should say, your ability to switch on the old gas. Jesus, it's freezing there, Froggy. Turn up the gas there, will you? We can't. Why? Well, we've gone over our carbon footprint for, our allowance of carbon output for this particular month. All right, then. I'll have to get a woolly jumper, I suppose. That's all right for a 46-year-old. Baldy Gammon. But it's not all right for a 79-year-old lady who's a bag of bones, who really needs that heat. These people are, well... It's not to put responsibility onto individuals, but it's about... But it is, you lying bastard. Of course it's all about putting responsibility on individuals. About joining up the two. So we know from that, you know, emissions gap report and work from other scientists that things like reducing flights where you can makes a huge difference. Yeah, reduce flights where you can, use bicycles, use trains... Yeah, use trains. The rail network, of course, is privatised in this country. Using a train is basically, well, it's astronomically expensive. I couldn't, on on what I earn, me, I, speaking personally, I could not afford to take a return train to London for anything. Couldn't afford it. I can't afford it. I couldn't pay two, three hundred pounds for a rail ticket to go to London on Virgin Trains. No chance. I doubt you could either. Yeah. Anyway, let's leave that there. 22 and a half minutes past the air. We'll be hearing more about it next week. It'll be all the rage next week. The old climate stuff. Would you like me to read some messages from you? Would you? Would you? Go to richieallen.co.uk. Comment live. That's the way to do it. Comment live and I'll read the comments out starting now. Starting now. Okay. Patrick says, anthropological climate change is bull spit, we know it, but go deeper, he says. They're trying to change the atmosphere to benefit the alien species who believe they own the Earth. That isn't a proven fact, he says, but it's likely. Do you believe that, Patrick? I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing at you, by the way. I don't know. I've heard the theory before. I don't know. We must get into that sometime. Dolores says, just wondering what CO2 level and gases and ash is coming out of the La Palma volcano. Should we try to stop nature and just stop breathing? Ah, Dolores, sure you're a woman after me own heart. So yeah. I looked up today the respirations, the inspirations and exhalations per minute 
What is it? What's the average? The average in breathing in and breathing out, we do it about 12, between 12 and 20 times a minute, depending on your state of rest, depending on what you're doing. I'm a very fit boy, me. My resting pulse is around 62. I don't breathe in and out very often. How long before one of these idiots says, I wonder now, could we reduce the average number of breaths that people take in a minute down by two or three? Rather than average it between 12 and 20, I wonder could we get it down to about seven or eight? Could we train people not to breathe as much per minute as they normally do? Dolores, you never know. You never know. Hi to RCMD. Jesus, just use a name, will you? Just use a first name. It doesn't have to be your own name. Makes it easier for me, you know? Make it easy for me, mother of Jesus. Alan says, I doubt Valance has an O-level in science. He probably has, Alan, in fairness to him, but what does it mean, you know? Steve says, the climate change scam was revealed in the 91 publication, The First Global Revolution, a report by the Council of the Club of Rome. Yes, that's right. I can't read all of that, Steve, but thank you. If you want to read it, do go to richieallen.co.uk. Hi to Caroline Feely. Hi to Dean Smith, who says, don't they always leave the sun out of climate modelling? They do. Of course they do. Oh, the sun doesn't exist. Sun doesn't matter. Hi to Charlotte Pins. Hi to Christopher. Hi to Gavin, who's lucky. Gavin says, Richie, more than 100,000 staff will leave the health and social care sector due to the vaccine mandate as the consultation is not just for NHS. It is for all CQC-regulated health and social care places of work. You're right, Gavin. Thank you. I'm going to be talking about vaccine mandates. You will be hearing shortly from a from a Australian nurse from Queensland who I spoke with earlier today. Lovely lady. Hi to Gail, who says, Richie, I loved the photo of the bloke with the bagpipes tormenting the insulate Britain bloke. I loved it too, Gail. He didn't get to uh, play the bagpipes, though. I think just before he struck a note, he was dragged away by the old Bill. So sadly, he, uh, you know... Hi to Sue, who says, uh, Richie, how did they get your number in the first place? I don't know. Because my mobile phone wouldn't be in a telephone directory. I don't know why that is. Now, plenty of people have my mobile phone number. And it gets passed around quite a bit because I'm a radio producer. So I don't worry too much about that these days. But I don't know how they got my number. But yes, they invited me to Buell Hill Park today. And I went, nah, 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 nah. Terry Winter, I'm going to address Terry Winter. And then I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give strong, I'm going to give strong, I'm going to give, I'm going to give quite a bit of thought to, to banning him. I don't ban people. But, but this guy is getting on my tits. Listen to this guy. I find it funny, says Terry, that Richie keeps saying that he likes people who have different views. Then why not get Andrew Kaufman back on the show? Listen, Terry. Listen, I'll say it again. Because you're obviously as thick as pig shit. You obviously haven't got two brain cells to rub together. So let me say it again. Andrew Kaufman is not a doctor. He was on this radio program and didn't do very well. He had his fucking chance. Do you understand? <laughs> Sorry for blowing your ears off there, dear listener. Terry is one of these guys who likes to quote people because they they say that which he which which he believes. 
Terry is one of these guys who loves this confirmation bias. He goes looking for anybody who says the things that he believes and, well, that's wonderful. That's an echo chamber. I'll keep uh, tweeting out stuff that Andrew Kaufman said and I'll just keep banging on about it. No, thanks. He, he had his chance on the show, didn't do very well. I've had plenty of people on the programme who've said the virus doesn't exist. I've had plenty of people on the programme who've said that it's terrain theory, stupid. It's not germ theory. And I've debated it with them. Because that's what I do. I, I put every side of it out there. I'm just not going to keep doing it over and over again so Terry the fuckwit can get to hear the person that he hero worships because that person tells him exactly what he wants to hear. In short, Terry, fuck off my website and stay gone. Thank you. I was just uh, basically possessed there by James Whale. I'm sorry. I don't know what I said in the last five minutes. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. 29 minutes past five. The crap that I have to read sometimes on my website. By the way, I won't be banning Terry from uh, richieallen.co.uk or anybody for that matter. I jest, of course, I jest. Let's move swiftly on and talk a little bit about the uh, jabbing of the kiddies. Oh, before we do that, though, did you hear this this afternoon? The Welsh climate minister says one of the things we could do is stop eating oranges out of season. Julie James on Radio Wales Breakfast said today, if you're buying oranges out of season, they should be a luxury treat, not something you take for granted. <laughs> what a moron. She then went on to say, wait for this, every citizen, every community group and every business in Wales, wait for it, is being asked to embed the climate emergency in the way they think, they work, they play, and they travel. If you're in Wales, the government wants you to embed the climate emergency in the way you think, work, play, and travel. They're demonic, these people. Parents are reluctant to vax their kids, no doubt about that. Since they rolled out the jabs for 12 to 15-year-olds, parents have not exactly been rushing to the jabatoires. What the government said last week was, they said, right, it's half term now. It is. This week is half term. The kids can go along to one of these centres, walk in and get their jab if they want. But it isn't happening. Ross Jones is a retired paediatrician and she thinks she knows why. Now, this clip is from an interview given three days ago to Talk Radio, but it is relevant again today because uh, they've been retweeting it again today. Retired paediatrician Ross Jones on why the parents are maybe not so keen to jab their kiddies. Parents are well aware that their children um, are getting COVID. I mean, you know, why do they, they, they won't even consider natural immunity? In August, Chris Whitty said that more than half of this age group had already had it. Well, if you look at the amount in schools at the moment, at least two thirds, if not three quarters have had it. So apparently Nadim Zahawi is worried that if they don't increase the rollout, then children won't be protected in time for Christmas. But if three quarters of them are already protected by natural immunity, this is just completely illogical. And I think, yes, parents are, are using their common sense. They're using their own observation. They've seen adults probably with some nasty side effects from the vaccines. 
even if only short-term ones, the long-term safety is unknown. And they've seen for themselves that COVID is very mild in this age group. Very mild in this age group. Fantastic what she said there, you know. But it's sadly on talk radio, which is... When, when you rank the commercial national radio stations in the country, it doesn't do that well. I'm not putting them down, not knocking them, just saying it doesn't have, it's, it's not that old. Well, it is, it's been around a few years, but it's, it's had changes in leadership and in management, but it doesn't get the listening numbers that other stations do. So they're not hearing people like her, anywho. Um, staying with talk radio, a GP told it, told the station, that masks have no place in schools and that children have been convinced by society that they are the ones letting grandma die. I wrote about this today. It is dreadful. Listen to Dr. Renee Hunderkamp. She's a GP, Dr. Renee Hunderkamp, and she is absolutely aghast at what is being done to children. There is no argument at all to have masks in school. In fact, there are lots of arguments to not have masks in school because there are so many... Um, harms that are done by masks and I'm so tired of hearing people say oh it's nothing it's easy to wear a mask it isn't I have seen children over the last 20 months been absolutely reduced from gregarious outgoing confident young teenagers into gibbering wrecks who are having panic attacks all day and coming to see me with their parents because they don't know how to cope anymore and they don't know how to cope because they've been convinced by society that they are the people that are letting grandma die they are the people that are are catching this germ at school and then bringing it home and spreading it throughout society and we need to stop we need to get back to normal we need our children to be educated mask free close the windows when it's cold so they're not all sitting there shivering in their coats and get on with life they don't need this and it doesn't do anything and bear in mind that they're also wearing these masks only in communal areas so when they're sitting in their classrooms then covid doesn't affect them apparently or doesn't spread but as soon as they go into the corridors it's lethal and then when they get to the school gates it goes away again as long as they've got this filthy little mask that they've got in their pocket that they've probably had for three weeks that they're taking in and out shoving on their face spreading everything around probably just the local cold that's going around and it's just imagine that there's a truth bomb. It's probably just the cold that's going around. That's unfair. And I object as a doctor to being castigated by the zealots on social media, who are also doctors, lots of them, telling me that I'm happy for children to die yes. and that I'm, I'm, I'm really a horrible person because I'm wishing ill on our children. And actually, it's so ironic because what I want is I want our children to have healthy mental health and physical health and to get on with their education. Dr. Renee Hunderkamp speaking earlier today to Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. This is the Richie Allen Show. Welcome to it. It's coming up for 25 minutes to the top of the hour. In a few moments, you'll hear from Jana, a Queensland-based nurse of 16 years who isn't working because of the vaccine mandate she fears that her career as a nurse is over. We had a very interesting conversation. She's incredibly eloquent and um, drops a few bombs, I think, in terms of what nurses were seeing last year and what they've been seeing this year with regard to the 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 claims that hospitals were being overrun by COVID patients, but also with respect to vaccine injuries. We'll talk to uh, Jana shortly. As I said, because she's in Queensland, we recorded that conversation a bit earlier on today. It had to be done like that. I'm Richie Allen, the BBG. This is your programme, live from Salford, BBG Towers. 
Europe's most listened to independent radio show. Thanks for finding it Thursday, the 28th of October, 2021. Here's Simple Minds. More after this. Good to be with you, as always. You turned me Simple Minds and Alive and Kicking on the Richie Allen Show Thursday edition. It is live. And it's live. That's me with you till whenever, I think 7 o'clock tonight. I don't know, but I'm going to be with you for quite a while. Anyway, Graham says, Richie, Noam Chomsky, darling of the left, wants unvaccinated people. Uh, He wants it so that they shouldn't be allowed out even to buy food. Now, I did see something about that online. Did Chomsky really say that? Graham, I am not suggesting that you are telling Porky's my friend. Was Chomsky that stupid to say that? Chomsky was everybody's darling until we all realised exactly who Chomsky was and how far Chomsky would go and the line in the sand that he would never cross. You know? Gilad Atzman, the Israeli-born intellectual and musician, has written extensively about how Israel has used Jewish intellectuals as a shield because you'll get people like Chomsky criticising Israel and Israel is just fine and dandy with that. Read Gilad on gilad.co.uk and you'll, you'll get the gist of his argument. It's very good, I think. Not because I, you know, I'm such an opponent of Israel that I, that I do what Terry does. <laughs> and just go for look, looking for the echo chamber. No, I don't. In fact, my nighttime radio programs in Spain were filled with Zionists from Israel. Filled with them. Anybody who remembers TPV will remember me uh, chairing a debate between Gilad Atzman and a guy called David Rubin in Tel Aviv. It was a fantastic, fantastic ding dong. See, I love a debate, me. I really miss debates. It's killing me. It's killing me softly. It is. It's killing me slowly. My brain cells are eroding. I really miss... I, I said this last night, so I won't lament. I won't go on and on and on again. I won't sing the same song. I do want to hear the other side. But it's very difficult to get it. And um, what are you going to do about that? Now, listen and listen good. My great friend, Phil Restino, is in Florida. And today, he is 61 years old. Phil... Happy birthday, my friend. What a top man Phil is. We must get Phil back on the programme. It's been well, well over a year or two, even two since he was on. Listen to Phil's birthday wish. You couldn't meet a nicer gentleman now. Believe me. He's an activist, is Phil. Lovely guy. Very generous with his time with people. He says, Richie, my birthday wish is for the people of the world to rise up and defeat this global push for vaccines and maskings and mandates and the bullshit Great Reset and defeat them. We can't do it. We must do it. One individual at a time. Not complying as much as possible. Be a little more courageous each and every day. Be an example to our fellows in not complying and thus give them courage to not comply as well. Refuse to wear those slave masks as much as possible. Happy birthday, Phil! Ah, I wish I could buy you a pint, but sadly, alas, even if I could, you're there and I'm here. Lindsay is in rugby. How you doing, Lindsay? Richie, it's my 46th birthday tomorrow. You're not far behind me then, Lindsay. She says I'll be away in the Malvern Hills, enjoying, enjoying the nature. I thought I'd pop in now and say a friendly hello and ask a small favour of saying hey back 
if you fancy it. I can do better than that, Lindsay. Happy birthday, kid. Uh, she says, I'm a dedicated listener of the show. I never miss one. You are a ray of sunshine in a world that's getting darker by the day. I look forward to hearing your voice, says Lindsay. Now, Lindsay Terry would strongly disagree with you. There's balance right there. Strongly disagree with you, I suppose. Anyway, she's uh, 46 tomorrow, is Lindsay, who listens to the programme. Michelle says, Richie, regarding the climate bollocks, what annoys me is that pollution, deforestation and other genuine environmental issues all get lumped in with climate change and because of this, it shifts the focus from the issues we should really be concerned with. Excellent comment, Michelle. They do equate those two issues. Chris and Emma say we can barely afford meat now anyway. And we've never flown on a plane. The great unwashed will suffer as usual, says uh, Chris and Emma. Yeah. Charlie Oscar says, Richie, how long do you think it'll be before bonfire night is banned? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Don't laugh. Just don't laugh. It's not funny. Nicholas says maybe the mask wearing is keeping CO2 down. I say this tongue in cheek, she says. Very good. Hi to Lucy56. Charlie says climate is always changing. CO2 isn't a pollutant. Without it, we and all living matter on the planet would die. If the world goes carbon neutral, all life will go extinct, says Charlie. CO2 is good for the planet. Yes, reduce other pollutants that do damage to life, but not CO2, he says. And somebody from Yorkshire dropped me a quick message and I've lost it. I'm going to have to find it a bit later on. It's Joe from Barnsley. Joe from Barnsley and it's spelt J-O so I'm presuming it's a lady. Joe. Joe likes what she says and says what she bloody well likes. That's a dreadful attempt at a Yorkshire accent. E by gum. Yes. Hi to David Keane as well. Is it time to hear from our guest today, is it? Hi to Richard Kelly too. I think it is time. It's quarter to the top of the hour. Let me set it up for you. Jana reached out to the programme. Lovely email. Richie, I'm a nurse. I'm not working now. They mandated vaccines for nurses, for doctors, for hospital workers in Queensland from September 30th. Then they gave us a stay of execution until November. But I'm not working. And I'm not going to be working because I won't be having the jab. Very eloquent lady. Let me just play the conversation. I started off, of course, by asking Jana. I said to her, Jana, why? Uh, Tell us about the circumstances that led up to you not working today and talking to me. And this is what she told me. Uh, We got notification of it on a Saturday evening, the health minister made an announcement on TV, I believe, to say that she was going to mandate vaccination for Queensland health staff. Um, and needless to say, it yeah, it all kicked off from there. So I think that was the first weekend of September and we were given a mandate originally of the 30th of September. You must be jabbed or you cannot go to work. Um, since that, obviously, we all got quite activated and there's well over 2,000 of us and counting that did not want to take part in this um, process. And so we found a very good union who is supporting us and we managed to push back. So they had to extend that date of the 30th of September until the 1st of November, which is next week. 
Which is next week, right? But you've been off yep. since then, haven't you? You've been off since September 30th. Yeah, so I, I went off on the September the 30th prior to the, um, they very late at night, they send out a call to people to please um, put in a request for an exemption. And at that stage, I was feeling that I don't need to have an exemption to not take part in a medical experiment. I just need to have the choice of saying yes or no. So I decided to not pursue the exemption. On a personal level, mm-hmm. may, maybe maybe you suspected that this was coming or knew this was coming, but it must still be a massive shock to you as a nurse to be in the situation you're in now, not working because the state has told you you can't do that unless you have a job. How are you dealing with that, Yana? Uh, well, I've been, um, I've vol- done some voluntary work Um <laughs> sort of spiralling between despair and disbelief and then thinking that, well, maybe something good will come out of this, Um, connecting a lot with fellow nurses who are all of the same opinion. Um, Yeah, so it's very strange. I've never had this length of time off in one go in my life and it feels, yeah, it feels very weird. Can you tell us a little bit about your own experience as a nurse? So yeah, I've been working as a registered nurse for the last 16 years, always with um, my organisation. I've had the opportunity to work across a lot of different specialties, um, been involved in a lot of patient safety as well, um, did some clinical trials. So that's why all of this, when it started unfolding, really caught my attention. I had all confidence in our health system here in Australia. I did not believe that we would get to this. Um, And that's all pretty much disappeared now. Let's have a chat then about March 2020. This caught you unawares. I tell you what, Jana, it caught me unawares. And if if Mm -hmm. anybody listening to this programme will know that, despite having been repeatedly warned by, by men and women over the years that such an eventuality was in the future. Mm-hmm. It it absolutely knocked me la- last year and I get called naive for it. But tell us about your experience of that particular period. So you're working then, you're, you're, mm-hmm. in, you're in a hospital, you're working, you're performing your duties and this comes along. What was your experience of the very beginning of this so-called pandemic? So at the very beginning, I think it was kind of, um, wouldn't say like exciting because that sounds quite morbid, but it was kind of tense, but we all felt quite prepared. We, um, at that stage, they did a lot of work in the background and we had, you know, extra ventilators to go and they took a lot of emergency measures to ensure that we would have beds available and it was kind of this waiting game, waiting for these terribly, drastically sick patients to start rolling in through those doors of ED. And I must say that from March until um, probably, I would say, August of last year 2020 it was the most underwhelming experience of my nursing career because uh, surgeries were cancelled and a lot of other things were cancelled we had pool staff stood down casual nurses had no work we just had no patients and it immediately struck me because the media was making these 
huge statements of how, you know, we were so busy and everyone all of a sudden loved a healthcare worker. And we were just doing our normal day-to-day business and we had, it was really quite terrible because we had a lot of coffee shop owners and other small organisations donating, you know, coffees to us and thanking us and we had children sending us posters to say, love a nurse, thank you, et cetera, et cetera. And it was really quite embarrassing to think that, I've never ever worked in such a quiet and calm environment in my whole life. Um, and is it a busy hospital? Is it a busy hospital yeah. ordinarily? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a busy hospital. So it's one of the um, the second largest hospital in my city. <laughs> and um, I would go out to the shops and wherever I went, and I would try and tell people, "Don't believe what the media is saying. We are not inundated. We've had nurses stood down. Nurses are on holidays." You know, everyone's been asked to take leave if they possibly can because we just had no work. I'm flabbergasted by this, even though, Jana, I live near one of the Northwest's biggest hospitals and I'm in constant contact with a nurse, uh, a female nurse, who has told me largely what you have told me. Is mm-hmm. it is it the is it the case or was it the case in your hospital that beds were removed to cope with COVID patients. Did that happen? You know, to make yeah, distancing. So, yeah. Well, what we did was we, um, we the, they cancelled surgeries. So all elective surgeries were cancelled to ensure that we would have enough beds. Were we going to be inundated? Um, they also made a separate ICU in preparation for that, just um, reconfigured parts of the hospital. It was all very meticulously and well thought out and planned had we actually had the numbers. Right. Um, this is really interesting. So, right, this is really interesting. So if, you, if your hospital had been inundated with COVID sufferers, you'd have been ready for it. You, they did everything right for, for a crisis, but... You really, your experience was the crisis never arrived. Yes, yes. So here in Queensland, at that stage, I must say full credit to our staff and the the hierarchy because I really felt, you know, they were were very well prepared. Um, It just never eventuated in, in spite of the media trying to make it look like it had. This is, it's kind of difficult to hear this in light of everything that's gone on. And I bet you, Jana, it'll be difficult for people to hear who might have been told by the hospital, we're really sorry, but the procedure we agreed to perform on you, we'll we'll put it off. You know, Jana, whether it's, you know, a hip replacement or whether it's some sort of surgery, that must be very difficult for them to hear. Now, is it your belief that while you were, I doubt you were twiddling your thumbs and playing solitaire on, on, on a computer, but while you weren't as busy as you thought you were, is it the case that your local media was telling people that you were basically run off your feet and at your wit's end? Was that going on? Not you specifically, but but your profession. Yes, they were definitely spinning that frontline health worker. You know, you're working so hard. Thank you. You know, it was, yes, I was not, I was not, um, I just felt very embarrassed because I knew that at that same time the lockdowns were affecting small business owners and, you know, there was already a lot of grief hitting Australia pretty quickly and here we were being held up on this pedestal when we were just doing our business as usual and no one was working overtime or any of that 
stuff. So, yeah, just I, I just felt like it was we were we were sort of being a bit, uh, how would you say, fraudulent because I kept thinking for sure our director is going to stand up and correct the media and tell them no, this is not the case. But that never Nobody seemed to did. really happen. And would would it, would that have been something that you and your colleagues would have been chatting about over a cup of coffee? Yeah, so we were we were quite um, yes, we did we did have a lot of conversations about that. Um, it was amazing that also with that threat of you know people thinking that if they come to the hospital there'll be a lot of COVID patients there that they will then get COVID. So the flow-on effect from that was that people didn't seek medical treatment until they were really very quite unwell. Um, Meaning that so maybe maybe some people maybe didn't make they it. They held off yeah. for a few days before coming, whereas before they may have presented, you know, that first day they had the chest pain rather than three or four days later. Let me just, uh, I don't need, I, I do this because people are always joining radio shows late. Yana is on the line. She's in Queensland in Australia, 16 years experienced registered nurse, not working at the moment because of the vaccine mandate. And uh, this is a dreadful thing. I'm allowed to editorialise here because nobody who listens to the programme is in any doubt about my position on this. It's a dreadful, dreadful thing. And uh, Yana reached out to the programme to talk about that and uh, why she isn't working and also to talk about vaccine injuries, which we'll come to in a few moments. She's told us that she was embarrassed when local businesses were, you know, coming forward to offer coffees for nurses and, and for hospital staff because they were so brave. When Yana says, look, we weren't really that busy at all. We prepared the hospital for, for a lot of COVID patients to come in. We did everything we should do for a pandemic, but it just never happened. And she said that she was having conversations with her colleagues where they were kind of bemused and bewildered as to, uh, to, to what's uh, going on. I've no doubt there'll be people listening to this in this country who've worked in hospitals who uh, will will say to themselves, you know, I've I've gone through that much. Um, I've gone through that uh, as well. And you mentioned about so something that is really, really serious, I think. And I don't know if we even understand the, the scope of it just yet. And that is the damage done to people by by the lockdowns and you you talked about mental health issues and other issues have you have any i don't mean personal experience yana but as a nurse is this something that you're acutely aware of in your own community yes yeah, so um that first buzz of covid once it sort of died down i think here in queensland we had an initial period of lockdown which didn't last very long and we soon started getting a lot of people coming through the doors that were very depressed, had mental health issues. Um, I think the thing that really struck me the most was um, the elderly because this whole thing was aimed at we're keeping the oldies safe. Um, and then what we were hearing on the ground was, you know, old people coming in, um, three in one day came and had attempted suicide. Two were successful and only one survived. And she said to me that, you know, she just felt like, what is the point of being alive anymore? My family won't come and touch, they won't come and say hello. They or they say hello through the door, they don't visit. Um, I'm not allowed to go anywhere. Um, uh, my social activities have all been stopped because of, you know, the lockdowns. And um, she just felt that, you know, what's the point of being here anymore when, you know, even family isn't allowed to come and see me. And I have never in my 16 years seen three older people 
in one day come to the one facility with suicide as a way of going. So that was really devastating. And then just hearing their stories of, you know, they had services cut. So here in Australia, we have community services that go out and help patients with shopping and cooking and cleaning and there's social activities and social groups that they can go to and just the sheer devastation that they all felt from the fact that a lot of their services had been cut so their life had become even more limited. Um, the, even the GP, which is like a social learning for many of them, was a telehealth. Um, it was just this new thing that they were all trying to navigate and it was really quite devastating seeing that effect on them. And I remember one lady said to me, you know, they say on TV that we're all in this together and she said we're not in this, that it's only the young people that can go to work that are in it together. All the oldies are locked up in their homes with no access to anything. Isn't that terrible? On the one hand, mm -hmm. on the one hand, our combined governments are saying that they're doing all they can to protect seniors. But in fact, it sounds to me like they were condemning them to a terrible life, a miserable existence, really. Yes, they were. And then the constant, a lot of them said they felt very marginalised because it was constantly every day, you know, if you're over 65, you're at risk. And um, many of them said that then they felt, you know, bad for going to the shops even because people would look at them like, what are you doing here? So I didn't see any, there was a lot of them said, look, I've made it to 80, I've made it to 90, I've made it to 70 and I would like to decide for myself how I live the rest of my life and not be dictated to by the government where I can and can't go and who I can and can't see. I mentioned the conversations that you had with your colleagues and I'm sure you would have been talking about the impact of such a miserable existence on seniors. Did you feel at any times that, 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 that maybe some of your colleagues, maybe some of the doctors you worked with might have thought about speaking up or saying something but maybe feared the consequences of doing so? You know, the kind of a conspiracy of silence. Was there some of that going on? No, not at no. that stage, I don't think. Um, we we had a lot of discussions and there were a lot of people that contacted um, the organisation that governs all the community care and things like that. So I don't feel that at that stage there was really anything untoward. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mean untoward. Yeah, I, I, fra I often do this. I phrase my questions really terribly. Mm -hmm. but what I meant was, <laughs> you know, people are people might feel, well, this is really dreadful. And then they might kind of self-censor or decide not to say anything because it might have consequences for, for their job. I, I just wonder about that going back to the very beginning. I'm sure a lot of mm. healthcare people at the very beginning thought, well, this is really silly and, and why are we doing this? But maybe thought, well, I better keep my bloody mouth shut, you know. I, that, that's all I was wondering. But no, I, 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 don't, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't doubt your answer. Can we move forward? We've got Jana on, registered nurse, very experienced, 16 years in Queensland sadly not working at present because of, of the vaccine mandate in the state, which is, well, it's nothing short of tyrannical, right? We know that. Yanni, you, you said to me in your initial contact, you said, Richie, um, after the vaccine rollout, you were cognitive, you were aware that some vaccine injured people were coming into the hospital. Do you want to talk about that? When did you, did you notice that and what sort of things were happening? Yeah, so the vaccine was rolled out um, primarily first offered to healthcare workers and the aged. Um, I know a lot of my colleagues uh, went out to have the vaccine as soon as it came out and they had various 
different types of symptoms. They were very sick. One girl said she'd never been so sick in her life. I know of one person who actually had a stroke and has, as a result, had left-sided weakness paralysis. Um, I was, when they started rolling it out, I kept thinking that surely they can't do this on a mass scale when you know that it's still in the phase three clinical trials, um, that this is, this is not going to happen, not in Australia, because I really felt that our TGA and our, you know, our hierarchy were very vigilant with these kinds of things. Um, and then, yeah, then the elderly started coming in. Again, those people that we ironically say that we are out to protect um, started seeing them coming in with various symptoms of um, some, some of them seemed to get this onset of confusion, delirium um, that was unexplainable. Um, some kept representing to hospital with multiple falls and the family would say, you know, they changed after they had the vaccine, but that was never kind of pinpointed as the reason um, to then when it rolled out to the further wider community, then seeing strokes and heart attacks and many or paralysis. These are dreadful. Um, these are dreadful adverse events. But were they, you know, how, how, how common did, did you think they were? It's really hard to um, to gauge that because obviously, you know, if you're working, you only work across, say, two wards or one ward. So yeah. you're not really aware of what's going on in the rest of the hospital. Um, I know talking to my colleagues all around Australia, they all, um, there's emergency nurses that are saying that, you know, they would say that one in every two or three patients that comes in is in there due to the vaccine. Um, Even to this day? So, Even to yeah, so with the wow. with the um, younger population now being targeted here in Australia, it's heart attacks and pericarditis and myocarditis. Um, Can I stop you there now and just ju just just for a bit of balance, right? Because I'll be mm -hmm. absolutely hammered for not doing this. The the World Health Organization and it's I don't know. I suppose it's it's foot soldiers in the UK and Australia and the United States. It's doctors, it's scientists. They say that the incidence of myocarditis in children are so low as to be negligible that COVID would present much more of a danger to a child than the risk of having myocarditis from one of the jabs. How would you respond mm. to that? So I would just respond that even one case of myocarditis in a child post an experimental vaccine is unacceptable, um, particularly when the World Health Organization has all last year told us that COVID poses no risk to children um, and it still appears to be the case. Um, and yeah. I just don't see any rationale for this being rolled out. I've seen drugs come and go in my career. There's been a lot of drugs that have, you know, come onto the market and, and people have been excited and said, oh, this is going to be fantastic. It's really going to help with, you know, um, diabetes management or, you know, heart disease management. And then it's pulled because it's been shown to cause 200 injuries to people across the world. Now, with these lot of medications, if you look at the VAERS data, the vigilance data, the UK and HS Yellow Card data, even our own Australian TGA website. So currently, um, TGA, which is the Australian reporting um, system, has 629 deaths recorded post-vaccine. So I just don't understand how you can continue to roll out something when you've had this many recorded deaths 
and the 69,000 adverse reactions. I just don't understand what's going on because any other drug would have been pulled from the market if it caused this amount of damage. Yeah, there was a swine flu jab pulled in the United States in 1976 or thereabouts for a fraction of the reported adverse events. And when I learned that, I was kind of blown away by that. No doubt about it. What about this notion that we, they say, we, we decided to give the jab to youngsters because it'll prevent them spreading it to their older relatives who might be more vulnerable. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, there are the, the same people that say that are also quite quick to admit that it doesn't stop transmission or infection. So I don't really understand what the rationale of giving it to anybody is. That's the end of that bloody question. Yeah, <laughs> really, pretty much. Isn't it pretty much? That's the end of that one. Move on quickly. Yeah, we've just had 15 new cases of COVID in Sydney, which is now on vaccine passports. So 15 people went to a gym in Sydney, all vaccinated, and they've got caught COVID. So, so it, yes. it, it's it, it's it's to call the measures and the lockdowns arbitrary is not really doing justice to the tyranny of it. I think because it's beyond arbitrary. No. Yeah, can I ask you about Australia? I know you're in Queensland. Listen, if I interrupted something, um, excuse me, jump right back in there. We have as much time as you as you want, anyway, Yana. No, I was just going to say, you know, looking from, you know, from from far afield at what's happened in 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 Queensland, in in Melbourne, I I can't get over what's happening in your country. I can't either. It's almost like we've been transplanted into Hitler's pre-war Germany. Um, I would never have believed that our country would come to this. Um, I would say to any UK health worker that's contemplating coming over to Australia to work to replace the four or 5,000 odd nurses who will be stood down across the country, don't do it because you're going to be locked up. You you know nothing about lockdowns and restrictions until you come to Australia. And I never in my life would have thought that I'd be saying that about my country. I don't blame you for getting emotional. I get emotional when I think about what might be coming. I think it, mm. must, it must be unbearable in, in your country. And I think it might be the tip of the iceberg unless we do something about it. Yeah. Uh, it's only the beginning, I think, Yana. And, and that's not yeah. to be depressing or to upset people. No. But they have to be aware of it. This is what's coming down the line. You have our jabs yeah. and our medicines, or we will make your life as unbearable as we possibly can. You've been a nurse for 16 years. Um, by the sounds of it, and what you've told me, and reading your email, you loved being a nurse, right? Yep. It was my life goal and my life dream to be one. And outside of your hospital and outside of the Australian healthcare system could you stay in it privately uh no the private systems are all mandating it as well are they right across Mm -hmm. the country it seems to be right across the country but I mean as it stands I'm loath to leave Queensland because we still have some freedom here so (laughs) I wouldn't go I wouldn't risk going interstate particularly down south you might not be able to get back isn't that, isn't that extraordinary? And you mentioned that you're, you're not alone, obviously. You mentioned other nurses around the country and you mentioned some union activity. Is there a positive note in that? What are the unions trying to do for you and others like you? Yeah, so interestingly, um, in Australia, the union movement um, has been obviously in the pocket of the Labour Party, mostly. Um, When this all started panning out at the beginning of the year, I reached out to our traditional union to say that, 
you know, if the vaccine is mandated, would you assist us in any manner? And I didn't really get a very satisfactory answer. So I went hunting around and I found a brand new, we've been around for a couple of years, but an organisation that also has a union attached. And I'll put in a plug for them because they have, would you believe it, gone from a small nursing association based in Queensland. They have gone nationwide and they have also established police, teachers, um, drivers, doctors and a miscellaneous workers union across the country and they have worked day and night to try and assist us with this. That's positive, Jana. That's something to uh, to hang on to, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's amazing seeing the way they've banded together and extended to all the other states. Um, and, yeah, they're very passionate about this issue. So that has been a, a good thing to see. Um, whether, yeah, yeah, time will tell whether we have success with it or not. And I, I ask this to everybody, it might be a bit personal, but what about support closer to home? whether it be partner, whether it be parents, are you being looked after? Because, listen, you don't sound like a victim or a vulnerable person, far from it, but it's a some shock, Yana. You know, 16 years, the profession you love, you, it was your life goal. That can't be easy. Have you got a good support network closer to home? Yeah, I do have a good support network. Um, and, yeah, it's not easy. I go through, I don't know what I'll do because I... <laughs> I'm a nurse, I don't know how to do anything else. But um yeah, I think I just I just felt that I had to speak out about it, even if it cost me everything. I can't watch this what's happening. Somebody you know, we, we all have to know that at least we tried to stop what's happening. I wouldn't worry about any reprisals. You've been very I think measured and honest in what you've said to, to me today. You've not been you know, you've not gone after anybody or any organisation viciously. You've given an account of what it was like last year for you and, um, mm. you know, how you experienced it. And you've been honest yeah. about the things you've seen since the vaccine rollout. So, you know, nobody could accuse you of uh, overstepping your mark. I mean, they've said mm. to you, listen, you can't work unless you have this job. This job is not. Nobody can say that this job is safe. Nobody can. You know, no. I, I, that's a fact. They can't say that because they don't know. I'm, I tell you what I'm worried about, Jana. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'd like to get your thoughts on this. This recent ramping up of pressure on pregnant women to have it. Oh. That's spooky, that. They won't let, yeah, they won't let up, don't. at least in the UK. What do you think? I, I don't understand where that's coming from. Um, I'm not a midwife and I don't work in antenatal, but I do know that there's very stringent measures usually in what medications are used in pregnancy and never have I seen a trial drug pushed on pregnant women and just the the reports that are coming from Australian midwives on our pages you know of the the miscarriages or the baby dying two hours after birth because it's had a stroke or it's just shocking and the stillbirth are being reported from Canada. I do not understand. I just don't understand it at all. Now, I'm going to say that those reports are anecdotal. Don't hate me for saying that. I'm not saying, no. I, I, I'm not saying those reports are not true. I'm not saying no. that. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll do what the mainstream media doesn't do. We'll be fair. I, 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 I'm sure that some of these reports are 
are accurate. I, I don't doubt that. But there's also, I believe, sadly, a lot of meddling going on from, you know, ironically, from those who want to promote these jabs. They tend to go on to some of these sites and, and, uh, and post stories to try and discredit, you know, genuine people who are coming out, people like yourself. Because I know that jabs are causing problems. I know I've looked at the yellow card reporting here in the UK. There's your own Australian one. It's all there. If mm-hmm. anybody wants to look at it, the jabs are definitely causing uh, more than enough problems for them to completely suspend the entire programme. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but of course they're they're uh, they're not going to to do that. Look, I, I is there anything that you kind of thought that you might like to say today? I do this all the time. I I go on radio every day, but but sometimes I finish a radio program and I think, ah bloody hell, I, I meant to say this and I didn't say it. Is there anything that you wanted to say, Yana, that maybe I've kind of steered you away from um, before we well, part company? Go ahead. Yeah, so what I would like to point out, um, I'm not sure what happened in other countries overseas. I found it very interesting that at the beginning of the year, our registering body, which is called APRA, issued us all with a notice to say that if we were speaking against the government narrative, or they didn't call it the narrative, but if we spoke against the government vaccine rollout, that we would be suspended um, and they also encouraged the public as well as our colleagues to uh, dob us in if they heard us speaking out against these vaccines. Why would and anybody want so to do that? So I was immediately, you know, immediately when I got that, this was I think in April, um, I was like, wow, so something really big is going down here. And I started really studying the Bayers and the UDRA and, you know, because you guys started your program earlier than we did. So we already had this data. You know, we had probably four or five months of data to show us how dangerous these vaccines are. And um, and then that email came out and I thought, wow, excellent. So this is why a lot of people have been hesitant to speak out. Um, this is why everyone, well, not everyone, I won't say everyone because there are a lot of good people out there. Um, there's doctors that have been stood down and reported for speaking out contrary to what the government's messaging is. Um, and yeah, so speaking out, you know that you may get that letter to say that you are no longer registered. And you're prepared to take that risk. You're 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 good to go with that because we are pre-recording this, of course. It doesn't have to go out. You know that. No, but I am prepared to do that because I think that I, I just don't know what else would carry weight. Um, you know, people, I, I just, I just don't, I just don't understand what's going on. And I don't, I think that the general public is still thinking that the government is somehow um, benevolent towards us. And this is actually a malicious global attempt um, not to sound grandiose, but the fact that this is being pushed on all levels at populations that were never even at risk of COVID um, and even the people that are at risk of COVID, this is causing probably more harm, I would say, than COVID did for us here in Queensland. We only had seven deaths recorded for COVID in Queensland um, and I would have no idea how many people have been issued into ED, emergency department, had a catastrophic hemorrhagic stroke and passed away soon after. Um, and they've had their vaccine a week or two ago. Something the media doesn't want to talk about at all, not just no. here, but everywhere. 
you mentioned pages earlier on. So if the program does have a, a listenership in your part of the world. So if hospital workers, whether they be nurses, doctors or, or general staff, would like to reach out, Jana, do you want to give, is there a resource somewhere or would you rather not say, is there some place they can go online? Um, I'm not quite sure, actually. We might have to take this off air because... Yeah, okay, I understand. Um, I, I mean, I got your information from Telegram, but I don't know whether we should be... We do get a lot of trolls on there as well. I don't know how secure the whole place is. But it's funny that Telegram, isn't it? it? When when that platform was launched, I think a friend of mine registered my name, uh, but I I don't use it. I've nothing against it, absolutely nothing against it at all. But um, having having been kicked off of other social media platforms, I just it, just don't have the time to to go on there and put information on there. But I'm glad you found the program through um uh, through Telegram. Mm. But no, I understand that. I understand you've got to be careful. Yeah. You've got to protect your, yourself and, and and others as well. I, I don't know if this means anything to you. It shouldn't really because this is the first time we've ever spoke. It genuinely destroys me to hear you telling me what you've told me. You know, you should, mm. be, you should be in hospital today working with people and improving mm. people's lives, not sitting at home talking to me, um, looking at the end of a 16-year career, I'm dreadfully sorry about that. I, I wish there was something we could do about it. Maybe there is. Maybe as the weeks and months progress, Yana, maybe it'll get so Orwellian that that people will finally say, no, enough is enough. Maybe, just maybe. I'm hanging on to that. I'll give you the final word, obviously, and just um, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And yes, all the best to the UK. I'm hoping you don't go the, down the Australian way. That was Jan speaking to me this morning from Queensland in Australia, talking about her experience of the last 18, 19 months as a nurse and uh, having to come to terms with not working because of the vaccine mandate. She said she wouldn't, um, you know, try and fill out any exemption. There was a end of September deadline that was extended to November. She was told that, you know, if she could uh, fill out exemption forms, she she could work in the meantime. But she said, no, she wouldn't do that. You know, she just wouldn't have the jab full stop. She didn't feel she would. Why would she need to be filling out any exemption forms? Really interesting. And there's been a lot of comment on it. And I will read those comments when I come back. This is Thursday's Richie Allen Show. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, thanks so much for the comments that have come in so far. Steve is down under and he says, Richie, most people here in Australia still believe things will go back to the way they were in 2019. Angela says, Richie, the nurse is a bloody angel. I thank God for uh, people like her. Uh, Pip says, Richie, Philippa here. Just to add, my, my two sisters live in New South Wales and Victoria. I'm telling them to move back to the UK as soon as possible. I don't know if that is a better option, but surely it won't be as bad as there. That's a question. They moved there for the lifestyle, but that lifestyle is gone, says Philippa. I live in Alabama and things are pretty normal here. Thankful for the people here who believe in the Constitution. She says, thanks for your infectious laugh, Richie. 
Keep smiling. Thanks, uh, Philippa. Yeah, the laughing, I think, is keeping us sane, isn't it? Chris says, I'm glad I didn't move to Australia in 1976. Prison colony from the beginning. He says, I've read my history, so I know now. Nicola says, I'm really surprised because a friend of mine who was in Perth, a former neighbour, has messaged me in response to my query about life, uh, how life currently is, saying how safe her family feel after their vaccines and she sounds like a true Covidian. It would appear there isn't any tyranny in Perth, says Nicola. Okay, thanks for that, Nicola. We just move, scroll on down. There's been many of them. Hi to Diane Hughes. How you doing, uh, Diane? She says, well, they did take the guns away after the Port Arthur false flag event. She says, now you know why. Sue says, this is heartbreaking. She's right. Pre-World War II Germany all over the world. So much for never forget, says uh, Sue there. Tell you what, I'll read more of those comments when I come back from a bit of a tune. It's Richie, it's Richie Allen with you. Uh, today, Thursday, the 28th of October, 2021. Here is a tune from Jackie Wilson, which happens to be one of my favourite songs of all time, if that means anything. It probably doesn't, but there you are. Jackie Wilson, higher and higher on the Richie Allen Show Thursday's programme. Thanks for staying with me. Good to be with you. Podomatic.com is where you'll catch previous episodes of the programme. If you're new to the programme, if you found me somehow online, the programme has been going, this particular programme has been going, 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 gone since September of 2014. So it has. So if you, 14, right? Yeah, 14. So if uh, there are thousands of episodes or 1,500 or thereabouts on richieallen.podomatic.com. There are episodes on Spotify and iTunes too, but don't depend on it. It's not great. Hi to my great pal, Mark Boyerski, uh, who was listening with interest to Yana. Was Mark. Do check out Mark at markbyerski.com. He said, Richie, You are not your job, and Yana is not her job. That's a very pertinent point. I would agree with Mark, but that won't be of any consolation whatsoever to somebody who loves the thing they do. If you've worked for 16 years in a hospital with your colleagues, with with patients, it's something you've always wanted to do, it was your life ambition, it must be devastating to be looking down the barrel of the rest of your life thinking that you won't be able to do it, at least not the way that you have previously done it anyway. But I I hear you, of course, loud and clear. It's, uh, and of course it isn't just Yana, the the health secretary in this country, a guy called Sajid Javid. Well, he's basically said we're, we're leaning towards doing the same thing here in the UK, which means, of course, they will be doing the same thing here in the UK. Chris says, Richie, my dad died a few weeks ago. I was with him and it was a peaceful passing. But he did have his last good years stolen from him because he was in COVID prison. For months I had no access, just phone calls. We lost a year of good times. That's a terrible thing to read, Chris. And genuinely, you have my genuine sympathy and love for having to put up with that. 
interestingly enough, recently on the BBC, I think Five Live, some we heard some similar stories. The bereaved relatives of seniors who died in care homes were able to get on the BBC and to express very similar sentiments there. It's evil. I think John Waters, the great Irish journalist, summed it up about a year or so ago. I remember taking a little snippet of something John said about how the people responsible for this, how they should be horsewhipped. He said they should be horsewhipped for doing that to people, for condemning people to live the rest, you know, the, the, to, to live in care homes, to languish in care homes, not being able to see their loved ones, kept kind of imprisoned, locked in there, with meetings through windows. Do you remember we talked about people who had been wheeled in wheelchairs to the edges of footpaths or pavements while their loved ones were driven by in cars so that they could wave at them? Such was the fear around COVID back then. Although we, we, we found out, we, we learned pretty quickly, didn't we? Didn't we? That they knew then, by they, the government knew then, they knew then that COVID-19 had been greatly, greatly exaggerated. One of the things that Yana said to me this morning after we finished up, she said to me, do play that clip of Chris Whitty, the uh, England's chief medical officer. Do play that clip of him describing, in his words, exactly what COVID is. I suppose there's always room for this clip. To balance two things. The seriousness of this virus as an epidemic, and it clearly is a very serious epidemic, but equally the fact that actually the great majority of people will not die from this. And I'll just repeat something I said right at the beginning, because I think it's worth reinforcing. Most people, are, well, a significant proportion of people will not get this virus at all at any point in the epidemic, which is going to go on for a long period of time. Of those who do, some of them will get the virus without even knowing it. They will have the virus with no symptoms at all, asymptomatic carriage, and we know that happens. Of those who get symptoms, the great majority, probably 80%, will have a mild or moderate disease, might be bad enough for them to have to go to bed for a few days, not bad enough for them to have to go to the doctor. An unfortunate minority will have to go as far as hospital, but the majority of those will just need oxygen and will then leave hospital. And then a minority of those will end up having to go to severe uh, end critical care, and some of those sadly will die. But that's a minority. It's 1% it's or possibly even less than 1% overall. And even in the highest risk group, uh, this is significantly less than 20%, i.e. the great majority of people, even the very highest groups, if they catch this virus, will not die. Yeah, you might be forgiven for arguing that Chris Whitty effectively described the flu there. He described winter flu season, didn't he? That's an important clip, that. From April, late April or early May last year. It's hugely important. They've known. You will have heard me this week speaking for the second time to Steve, who's a registered NHS nurse and has worked in research. Very eloquent gentleman, softly spoken. And um, very bright, speaking to us with a very heavy heart because he expects that, like Yana, he's going to lose his own career. And he says that he saw the same data last year that the UK government saw. So he knows that they knew that COVID was nothing really to get your knickers in a twist about really. You know, I'm not going to attribute anything to Steve now.
But what I've heard from Steve and others, I've been doing this programme for years and to my amazement, I've been talking about probably 96% of what I've talked about on this programme since March last year has been this bloody scamdemic. So I've listened to everybody. I've watched every press conference. I've watched the, 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 the Commons Health Committee hearings. I've done it all, me. Listened to everything as a journalist. And I can say that the sum of everything I've heard is that this is the greatest, one of the greatest scams ever perpetrated against, against the ordinary man and woman, of which I am one, in this country. I know now for a fact that they knew from day one that COVID, again, I'm going to say, wasn't anything to get your knickers in a twist about. Nothing. Nothing. And that what they, again, with my accumulated knowledge of working in radio for the best part of 25 years now, my accumulated knowledge, I'm a pretty decent analyst. I'm not the best analyst. I'm not a great... Mother Teresa wasn't a great nun. She was a good nun. (laughs) I'm channeling Eamon Dunphy here. I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good producer of, of content because I'm a good analyst. So I analyse everything. And realistically, if COVID-19 is real, and I know that some of you don't believe that, and I respect your right to believe it, and I understand why you believe it, I say what I always say, I don't know. I don't know, it's interesting, maybe. Maybe it doesn't exist, I don't know. You have to, of course, I have to defer to you when thinking about last year when they said, Asher, we had no flu last year. (laughs) Asher, cheapers, sure we had no flu at all last year. Fortunately. Is that what they said, was it? I can't remember. Is that what they said? Fortunately, we had no flu last year because if we did have flu last year, well, sure, we might have all died of it, you know, I don't know. Is that what they said? Fortunately, no flu, no flu season. There is a clip somewhere. Can I I drag it up? Have I got the um, wherewithal to drag it up? Maybe, maybe not. No, I've not got one to hand. But yeah, so I look at that and I think, yeah, you might be onto something. But what they should have done, if we pretend for a moment that COVID-19 was a new respiratory infection, SARS-CoV-2, it's a new thing, and it's a bit of concern, what they should have done was they should have said, right, what we need to do now is we need to make sure that anyone who might traditionally be, be a bit vulnerable, I hate that term, by the way, susceptible is a better term, like me, because I'm susceptible to respiratory infections. I've had years of bronchial problems. I've had pneumonia three times. I really have. On two occasions, it was very, very, very bad. And on one occasion, it nearly killed me. I've always been bronchial. So I'd be one now if there's something going around, I should worry. What they should have done was said, right, if you're traditionally susceptible to this stuff, those are fireworks going off, by the way. And you know what? The window to the studio is slightly open. <laughs> well, I tell you why. Because we've we've been, but well, not we, but painting is going on at BBG Towers. It's being painted by our friend Stuart and our neighbour. And he's doing a stellar job, is uh, Stuart. So uh, the, the window is slightly ajar. I'm not going to get up and close it. It's a very good window. You normally don't hear anything that comes from outside. But somebody's got fireworks. That's a bit strange because we've not been hearing them. Maybe maybe because of lockdowns and maybe because of supply chains, maybe fireworks are becoming harder to come by. But not right now, because some of my idiotic neighbours are firing off fireworks as I speak with you. Morons. Absolute fucking morons. But anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Why do I say that? Well, I'm selfish. Because I have a dog. We have a dog. But she doesn't seem to be too perturbed by the old fireworks. Anywho, 
back to the COVID thing. So if it's genuine and if they felt it might be, well, it might be a bit spiky, a bit spiky. No pun intended. Forget the spike proteins. What I mean is maybe it's a bit spiky. Is that it might be a bit rough on the old chest and on the old lungs. What they should have said was, look, if you are susceptible to it, take care. Uh, Open your windows. Get a bit of circulation going in your house, number one. Number two, do take vitamin C, D3 and zinc supplements if you can. To try and reduce the chances that if you do pick it up, it'll be bad for you. But they didn't do any of that. They said three weeks to flatten the curve. Which, again, if you've been with this programme, you will remember. From day one, I said three weeks to flatten the curve my arse. This is here to stay. In one form or another. And then the jabs they rushed out. And then 15 million jabs to freedom. That turned out to be a load of bollocks as well. Excuse my French. And, uh, and so on, so on, so on. Winter lockdowns and here we are now. More than 100 million jabs have been administered in the UK. Now they're talking about they're talking about vaccine passports, aren't they? And booster jabs on top of booster jabs and on top of booster jabs. So why that preamble or why that ramble? Well, because the Chris Whitty clip is as important now as it ever was. They knew then that COVID was was a nonsense. So, to justify the introduction of boosters, to justify the talk of future lockdowns and vaccine passports, they introduced another monumental lie, and that is variants. Now again, as a producer of content, as a reputable researcher, you know, I know, that there isn't an example historically, there is not an example historically, of a pathogen evolving, of a variant coming out of a respiratory infection that was worse than the parent infection, than the original infection. It's never happened. These liars are turning science on its head and just making it up as they go along. When flus, when everything else mutates, it mutates down, not up. It doesn't get worse. It becomes weaker. This is something that Carl Hennigan from Oxford University has repeatedly said on talk radio. But he's ignored because he's only going on talk radio. I have more listeners than talk radio. I invited him on this programme. But you can't be seen on this programme. Or heard on this programme. Because the press will go after you. Everybody should hear Hennigan. He said it. I I played the clips on this programme. He said, these things don't mutate worse. Ever. But the government says they do. And that we've got the Kent variant and all these other variants. And we've got the Delta variant. Now we've got the Delta Plus variant. Never ends. People believe it. I didn't have time to ask the oft-mentioned future missus, who was in Buell Hill Park this afternoon where they erected a temporary jabatoire. Didn't ask her, was it busy? <laughs> Were there people going in there to have their jabs? Uh, I don't know. So, um, I look, I'm open-minded when it comes to does it exist? Does it not? And a part of me then, because of where we are, part of me thinks that ship has sailed. In which case I would feel a great sympathy for those who have sworn that SARS-CoV-2 is nonsense. I would be very sympathetic to you if, if, if you're right. But I think that ship has sailed in terms of, does it matter now? 
don't be angry. Just think about what I'm saying. It doesn't really matter, you know, because that's where we are, right? And it, it's generally accepted now in society that it's real. So what can you do about that? I don't think you should waste, far be it for me to tell you what to do, wasting time trying to convince somebody that the thing doesn't exist at all. Well, good luck with that, really. I, I think it's generally accepted in society. I'd work pretty hard now if I was given the opportunity to address people, you know, who, who who have had their jabs or might want to go and have their jabs, given the chance to address those people and speak to them, I would think it was a better spending of my time, a better use of my time in trying to get them to to listen to those sound bites, you know, and to listen to the Oxford guy who we featured last week, we featured his clips who said that they're, they're they're skewing the case numbers, that the daily case data is not right, he said. This guy who was um, involved in the creation of the Oxford-AstraZeneca job. What's his la- name? Let me bring him up there. I featured him a couple of times on the website. The guy's name is Professor Sir Andrew Pollard. He says, look, they're, 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 they're basically adding cases and adding debts and attributing them to COVID. There's a word I can never say. Attributing them to COVID. And he said, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be, he says. You know, people with appendicitis going into hospital. People with hernias going into hospital. People going into hospital for treatment for piles, piles or something else. And while there, they're being tested. Nothing wrong with these people. They're not bedridden with with, uh, coughing and and they're, they're not bedridden due to a lack of oxygen. Nothing wrong with them, apart from the thing they went into hospital for. This guy came out during the week, spoke to the Commons Committee, and he said one of the reasons we're all getting our knickers in a twist about cases is because the UK is testing for COVID ten times more than other European countries. <laughs> He's basically saying, stop it. Stop the testing. You don't, you don't have a pandemic. These are the things I would like to be able to share with people. Say, look, these are the guys. This guy made the vaccine, goddammit. With that Barbie doll woman with the hair and the glasses, whose name I can't remember either. Sarah Gilbert. Is it Sarah Gilbert? Yeah. It's these people telling you the truth now, or a sliver of the truth, that this thing is not a concern. It's not. But yet, they want to make it so that you can't live effectively the life you want to live unless you have their job. Yet they're telling you that there isn't really anything to be worried about at the moment. Ah, be jeepers. I'll play a tune when I come back. I'll read more comments from you. I'll read a few more of your comments. It's your BBG live on richieallen.co.uk and many other platforms. Want to play this for my pal Joe Boddington in Chorlton. How you doing, Joe? Good to hear from you, by the way. Yeah, that is Hootie and the Blowfish and I Only Want to Be With You. Twelve and a half minutes to seven o'clock, the BBG. It's the BBG. Ah, David Keane, huh? He says, Richie, one of the other biggest scams told to the human race, he says, was we are all monkeys on a spinning ball hurtling through the galaxy at 66,000 miles an hour. Absolute bollocks, PBG, he says, but 
That is another debate. David, listen up now. Oh, shut up, you tart. Absolutely right. <laughs> I've had the flat earthers on my case since... I think since Spain, I think. Since 2010, I think. They were on to me. I didn't. I did interview a couple of flat earthers way back when I first did this type of programme. And as usual, as you would expect from your BBG... I was uh, obviously polite and receptive. I was a good host, but I said, I don't believe you. But um, it was interesting at the time, really, yeah. It's one of them, isn't it? My, I get accused sometimes of, uh, you, said, you, said, you said one time there, Baldy, that you subscribe to the simulation theory, which I kind of do. But funnily enough, that's got nothing to do with my... My previous relationship with David Icke, nothing to do with that. I'd read books and I'd read newspaper and magazine articles, even before I met David, about the simulation model of the universe, the idea that it's a hologram, and um, was was really fascinated by that. So it wouldn't have been David necessarily, but uh, yeah, that's, look, it's these are wonderful theories. You know, I respect anybody's right to think whatever they want. And I get, from time to time, somebody drops in with a message, oh, do a big show on Flat Earth, Richie. And I'm like, ah, maybe in the future. I, I, it's not so much I give people the brush off, but I, I generally tend to focus on, on other things, really. And then sometimes they come back to me, screaming at me, saying that I'm censoring them, which is preposterous, really. I'm not censoring anybody. You know, when you produce radio or television, it's a responsible thing. You you do have, a, I suppose, some weight of responsibility. You get to choose what you talk about. So on any given day, you listen to that which I'm interested in talking about. And it must be what you're interested in talking about most of the time. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But I've not really fancied the flat earth thing. And then because I say that, they assume that it's because I'm trying to keep it a big secret. But I'm not. I'm saying there are many channels, YouTube, BitChute and elsewhere, where you can read, sorry, excuse me, you can listen to those who do believe that. So I'm promoting it now. You know, go and read about it. Go and engage with people on BitChute and other channels, if you like. But I've just not gotten into it, really. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of a dead end, isn't it, really? Even if they're right, God love them. And I don't mean to be patronising. It's kind of a dead end, really. But um, they might say, well, it isn't really, because if it's true, Richie, well, then, you know, it'll blow the lid off the entire conspiracy. They might be right. Like I said, dear listener, each to their own, you know. But there are loads of videos. I did see some of them years ago when I did speak about it. In fact, I can't remember exactly who it would have been at the time that I would have interviewed, but it was somebody very well known in America. We had a good old ding-dong. It was all professional and we parted on good terms or, 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 or at least I felt we parted on good terms. But yes, thank you, David, you tart. <laughs> you're absolutely tart. Wayne says, you're all wrong, it's a triangle. That's the one. It's a dodecahedron is what it is. It's a dodecahedron. Everybody knows that. I was really amused last year or two years ago. Or was it three years ago? when Elon Musk sent a car into space. Do you remember that? 
and lots of people who listen to this program, they came out and said that the photograph was so fake that it must be a real middle finger from Elon Musk and his pals to the world. But you see, I don't know. I mean, what must it be like if you're in space? Let's say the world is round. Let's say it is a globe. I've worked on that premise for most of my life, right? Let's pretend it is. If 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 you happen to be in the space station, it's just black, isn't it? Like you look out and, <coughs> excuse me, it's blackness. And then the world is very impressive, presumably, this big blue ball with the atmosphere and the clouds down below and and then the the outline of the countries. That's if it's genuinely a globe, right? But the blackness, I would imagine, is pretty boring. And Musk's car, the, the photograph, looked to me exactly how it would look if the Earth was genuinely spherical. You big shill, Alan. I'm not. I'm not indoor. I don't like Elon Musk. I'm just like, I couldn't see the big furore. I couldn't understand the outrage against the photograph. But again, listen to me. Please listen. I could very well be wrong. I am wrong all the time. Well, not really. I was only ever wrong once in my life. And that's when I thought I was wrong. Don't ever forget it either. It's uh, six and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Okay. Hi to Tony Clark. Hi, Tony. Some of you are sharing videos now. That's good. Some of you are sharing videos about flat earth theory. So, dear listener, if you're listening to this and you want to find a video, go to, go to my website, richieallen.co.uk, where it says comment live. Comment live. And you'll find some of these videos there. Okay. Right. I suppose I'll just keep you dangling, you know. But what am I going to say to somebody who believes in flat earth, you know? You know? What am I going to say to them? I've got a thousand arguments that I can find from from people to to refute it. So it's just going to be me saying, but then, what about this? And we don't need to waste time on that. If you want to read that stuff, as I said, it's out there uh, for you. Uh, Patricia is on. How are you doing, Patricia? She says, Richie, I've seen in Whitby, I saw a photo on a bus travelling in Whitby, which says, kids have strokes Two, know the warning signs. What the actual feck, says Patricia. Yes, they are. It, they are squeezing the parents now to bring the kiddies forward for the kiddies job. By the way, just in case you don't know, the government and its scientific advisors, they've decided that 12 to 15 year olds will just get one jab. Just one. Because it's all arbitrary bollocks. Uh, children don't seem to need this jab. They just don't seem to need the jab. Craig says, what matters whether it's spherical, flat or holographic? It doesn't change our day-to-day -day life. Amen, I would say to that. This is something I've said, Craig, to one or two people who, who have pressed me to cover the issue. I've said, we might just have bigger fish to fry at the moment. Or it could just be me, you know. There might be more important things going on right at this very moment in time. Let me give a very, very, very quick plug to a programme called Sunday Morning Melodies. Sunday Morning Melodies with the BBD on richieallen.co.uk 
spared no expense. Spared no expense. That woman does the singing for Radio 2 for their jingles. But because the BBG, the minute somebody starts referring to themselves in the third person, you should shoot them behind the left ear. Because your BBG spares no expense. No, no, because uh, the programme is appreciated in certain circles. Deals were struck and singing jingles were provided. I'd be fired for doing that now if I was on commercial radio. Join me at 10 o'clock on Sunday for Sunday Morning Melodies. It's only available through richieallen.co.uk or the TuneIn app. Love it. It's a really relaxing two hours. A hi to Sophie and Andrew, by the way. Good evening, Sophie and Andrew, in France. Join me at 10 for a bit of or and or for an old school, old style music programme of yesteryear. In the meantime, thanks to Yana from Queensland for sharing her story with us tonight. Thank you for listening. We will talk again Sunday, but the Richie Allen Show returns on Monday at 5 o'clock UK time. Thanks for being with me all week long. Thanks to all of my guests. And, And again, happy birthday to Lindsay and to Phil Restino. Bye for now. Bye now.